Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. This is Sean Dubervac with Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin with Reticle Research. Uh, we close out the week by taking a look at some of the big news. And of course, the biggest news from the week was that of, of Apple having to um, preemptively report that they were going to miss their their expectations. Ross, you have any initial thoughts on this coming out of the gate? Uh, uh, sure. Well, uh, you know, there's been a tremendous uh, loss of, uh, of market cap um, for Apple last week. We talked about how, you know, over the course of 2018, so long ago, uh, Apple had uh, become the world's most valuable company, had its market cap surpass uh, a trillion dollars. Uh, but as we started moving toward the end of the year, we saw a number of other companies, uh, including Microsoft, uh, surpass it. And uh, most recently, one of the headlines today is that it has uh, lost kind of the equivalent of the market cap of a Facebook uh, over $400 uh, billion in um, uh, in in uh, you know last uh, last uh, few months, so the um, there are a lot of factors at play here, and as uh, Tim Cook said, it's a mix of macroeconomic issues and Apple specific issues. Uh, I I'll start off maybe offering my take on some of the Apple specific issues, which are. Uh, historically, the company has been excellent at uh, timing uh, and getting ahead of new waves of tech trends, you know, driving the next generation of product uh, in order to compensate for something that was waning. Uh, a great example is how they shifted from the iPod, you know, to the iPhone and first how they even sort of rejuvenated uh themselves with uh, with the iPod uh, to to begin with, uh, and then uh, of course came iPad, and that had a big bang out of the gate. But but it's been kind of tough for it to find its its footing as a mainstream computer replacement. Uh, and so the iPhone has had an incredible run, an unprecedented run. Uh, and uh, you know, not only has the question become how does Apple uh, keep up that that level of uh, of sales versus increasingly competitive uh, options that are are far lower priced. Uh, but uh, you know what what happens to the smartphone market in general, particularly the high end, as uh, as the category matures and uh, things have have kind of stabilized on a set of expectations over the past few years. So. So, you know, those are some of the, I think, Apple-specific issues regarding what's kind of the next big thing for them. Uh, but um, I'm sure you have some thoughts on what, what some of the economic challenges are at, at the moment for them. Yeah, and I think looking at some of those Apple-specific elements, there was this halo effect that nobody really fully took it, you know, talked about with respect to the iPhone. And it was this, you know, rising tide that lifted all of the the boats within the Apple Harbor. Mm -hmm. uh, so iPhone did really well. And you remember when when the iPad launched, 
it was largely panned as just a large iPhone and, and wouldn't be able to carve out an important niche. And it did carve out an important niche. And even more importantly, arguably ushered in this period of large iPhones, which from a, a mm. revenue perspective, a unit uh, <coughs> perspective, did very well for, for Apple. You saw the watch category do well, and I would argue that their success in watch is largely because of, of iPhones. Oh, Services no now are, are, are doing well because of iPhones. So all of this was driven by this, this category, and uh, you know, so there was this massive halo effect, and it was hard for, uh, you know, one, one of the struggles I think that Apple has is that nothing compares to the iPhone. Right. And if you look at at other companies, they've got a much broader but shallower portfolio. And they're not they're not dependent upon one category. And so Apple is in this really difficult position. And it really the writing has been on the wall for a very long time. Uh, people have been talking about market saturation for a very long time, but they weren't able to accurately predict when that time would come. We saw them stop reporting unit sales. That clearly was a warning sign that yes. things were slowing. So some of the the, the news from this week is, um, I would argue, a bit surprising. Some of the response is a bit surprising because we've been talking about this for years. And mm -hmm, certainly mm -hmm. in the last year, as soon as they stopped reporting unit sales, that was the, the big flag. And that it should have been off, the, big, yeah. the big warning sign. Um, you know, some of the macroeconomic impacts if you look specifically at china china is going to be a very hard market for apple because there are so many high quality low priced competing products and because of the the willingness to to spend uh at at mass is lower than in a place like the united states so mm -hmm. i think that, that that will always be a, a difficult market uh for for Apple. And then also, if you look at the services that do well in China, they don't necessarily require an Apple ecosystem to be successful. So WeChat or any of these others are right. the ecosystem play in China, not necessarily iMessage. And so right. you have you have different um, network effects that are impacting those those markets I, I think it's it's been kind of the one-two punch of this uh strong competition from companies like huawei and xiaomi and um uh the guys who do you know OnePlus and and uh oppo uh and uh, and just in general slowing economic growth in in china uh, so the the way Apple has put it is that their business, uh, even iPhone business, continues to be strong, uh, you know, particularly domestically, you know, which has uh, always been one of their their best markets. But, you know, clearly for some time, uh, Apple, as well as many other manufacturers have have looked to china as the real growth engine and when that engine starts to stall it's it's really impossible to you know because of because of the scale the volume uh upside there it's uh it's it's difficult to to fill it some some other way I, and i don't see this as a pricing problem for apple so much of the commentary this last week has been 
on the fact that yeah for india yeah well okay so for india maybe it's a a pricing problem and and they need to come out with a different product for that marketplace but i don't see this as it as purely a, a pricing problem i think in order to um address the dynamics at play in the marketplace apple is going to have to come out with some other products in other categories and be strong players in those areas and continue to build out the ecosystem to enhance the the halo effect that exists within that that app that apple environment and so i don't see it as just a, a pricing problem do you think uh, when you say new offerings or allude to new offerings is that do you think there are new hardware categories that are have the uh, ha- have the potential to pick up a lot of the or at least some of the slack of, of the slowing iPhone sales or do you think they need to just continue to pursue the services angle and just you know, build more and more on top of their install base. I, I think there's a c- couple of options at play there. I definitely I see new hardware, and mm-hmm. I would argue that Apple in ten years could be a healthcare company that mm-hmm, they could mm-hmm. have hardware and services that are focused in that area. And when you think about the type of service that you want with respect to healthcare products you you want high reliability you want ease of use you want seamless integration i think apple really has some some core expertise there and so they could really be a disruptor there at the same time you see this uh, what i'll call micronization of healthcare where we're moving technology from large shared expensive facilities like hospitals into Mm. consumers hands and and homes and so Apple, I think, could be a big player there. And then tied to that are services. So not only those, um, you know, the existing services that they offer, like music and and other things, but you could see them moving into some more healthcare-oriented services, subscription-type services that you're paying fees on an annual basis to be on top of whatever your, your healthcare needs are. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there for them. And even in some of the other areas, if you look at what Google and Amazon and um, you know Dropbox and others have done for storage, th- that could easily be a, for Apple that that they I would argue they really haven't um, done as much in, in that area as they could. Hmm. I, I think well, first of all, regarding iCloud. Uh, I mean, as it is, I, I think they get a, a fair amount of pushback, at least when it comes to things like uh, phone storage or or particularly photos where uh, they give away <laughs> very little uh, in terms of online capacity. And it's a right. dramatic contrast to Google Photos where you can upload, you know, at the expense of a of, nominal quality loss, you can upload uh, infinite, uh, essentially, photos and videos. And if you use one of Google's Pixel phones, you, you don't even have to give up uh, any, any, of the, uh, any of the quality. I think that they have um, been a little bit um, indirect in, in how they've approached that market. In other words, instead of pushing kind of the benefits of, of iCloud storage, they've been more about um 
pushing the incentives around it, you know. So as your hard drive is getting full, and you know, this is something that as the system vendor, it's a lot easier for them to do. Uh, as your as your hard drive is getting full, you know, say, hey, you know, why don't you offload some of this to iCloud? Oops, <laughs> you know, in order to do that, you're you're going to have to uh, upgrade to the next uh, tier of storage. So, um, so yeah, I. I think they've taken a different approach to it. I think it's going to be uh, tough. Uh, it's a little bit tough for them, given some of the backlash and, and competition that uh, that they already face in the um, uh, services market. And also, let's uh, remember that there's a little bit of scrutiny in terms of how they leverage their platform in terms of being, for example, uh, the exclusive app store provider, you know, uh, which, of course, we've kind of taken for granted since uh, 2008. Uh, and, and now there's more, you know, starting to be more regulatory scrutiny around, well, you know, is that monopoly power? And, you know, how does that, uh, how does that impact the, uh, the consumer? Um, and uh, and the, the, the other thing is that um, the building of these services I, you know, it's kind of new territory for them. It's a new playbook for them. And and I know, you know, Sean, this is something you've hit on a, a number of times. It's a, Whenever anyone talks about it, they talk about it as a transition for them. Uh, and historically, their uh, successes have been built on, let's call them big banks, right? Things that have penetrated the popular... Uh, zeitgeist and, you know, essentially sold people things that they didn't even know they needed, right? right. So uh, iPod, I think, is, you know, a great example of that. And for me, uh, represents kind of modern Apple, or at least the beginning mm -hmm. of modern Apple, right, when uh, Steve Jobs returned. So um, uh, where are the opportunities there? You know, you, you mentioned the watch, which, uh, I think we'd agree is, is off to a good start, but, but it's not enough and, uh, it's not mainstream enough. And, you know, for them to, to really get something uh, that sells at scale, uh, is, is, is the challenge, you know, to get back up to that iPhone scale. And of course it doesn't have to be overnight, but they, they really have to introduce something that's going to change a paradigm. I, I tend to pin a lot of hopes on AR. They've been dropping hints about it literally for years. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they're already making moves in the space on the, on the software side. Now they just have to, you know, kind of close the loop. You know, it reminds me of when they introduced iTunes uh, as a way to get music from CDs. And they... You know, they they did it before they introduced the iPod, which which was the device that that brought it all together. And I think that um, you know, there's there's starting to become more pressure for them to show their cards in terms of of what they're doing in in AR. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. That there are these opportunities like AR and VR that could be very promising for them. There will be after this week much more pressure for them to show their cards <laughs> and and you saw, and you have seen this happen under we'll call it the Tim Cook era where they've announced products that they weren't ready to ship i, mm -hmm. I think that was the case with the when they first launched the watch they announced it long before they were ready to ship it 
Um, and that was not the case with Steve Jobs. When they announced it, they were also announcing pricing. They were announcing delivery dates. They were ready to uh, to bring it to market. Well, and so that Apple, that Apple TV, they they kind of hinted, you know, they 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 previewed, let's say, uh, quite quite a while before they they released. But mm-hmm. sure. And and I think that um, you know to to your other point, they are missing these paradigm shifting experiences. The one that I always think of is visual voicemail. It didn't exist right. prior to the iPhone. Like think right. about these little things that have become uh, that we that we take for granted. Those are the the type of experiences uh, that the consumer is is looking for, even though they don't necessarily know you know, where those will materialize. They don't know how it will change their lives. And it's those type of things that, that consumers gravitate quickly to and will drive unit volume in terms of hardware and will also drive adoption of of services. And I, I think, you know, in terms of competition, to your point, it's not just about price. It's about how even in the course of, of a year, the landscape changes so quickly that it is so difficult to get any kind of lasting differentiation, right? So uh, a good example, one uh, from Apple, one from a competitor, uh, where uh, LG was one of the first to introduce the 18 by 9 form factor, right? The very slim Mm -hmm. bezel uh, design. And even when they introduced it, they acknowledged, hey, we we fully expect that the industry is going to go this way over over the course of of the year, right? And sure enough, you know, within uh, the next few months, Samsung had moved to that form factor. Apple moved to that form factor, and and for Apple's part, right? What is the distinguishing feature of the iPhone 10? It is the notch, right? Mm-hmm. And and over the core, and they weren't the first with the notch, uh, but but you know. Of course, they validate it, and and within the course of the year, with the you know exception of of Samsung, uh, a, a lot of manufacturers are are implementing this right, and uh, including LG and Huawei and and OnePlus. Uh, so um, you know, and th- this was like their their revelation, and they talked about how you know all the work they had to do to get the edge to edge display uh, and you know within a few months it's it's basically everywhere so yeah and the design cycle of phones is so short that you're you're going to see that and that's that's going to create i think some friction in the marketplace where you have design cycles for smartphones where they want it to be you know 9 months or so from at at, at a minimum where they're seeing new products or new or new designs and implementing it in their own designs so you're you're turning that over within the calendar year but now you have extending upgrade cycles and, and apple mm-hmm. in the past has said well we don't care about upgrade cycles and they and they haven't had to worry about upgrade cycles because the upgrade cycles have been there for them they've been supporting them at the same time they've been expanding into new markets and into new marketplaces and i think uh you know that that's going to be a headwind for apple as well because the upgrade cycles are extending out to three and four years, and, and that's going to be hard for Apple to uh, to adjust to. Yeah, and I, I think that they were able to lengthen, uh, they, they benefited 
from uh, a lot of the carriers introducing all these uh, upgrade as you go plans, mm-hmm. right? Like like Jump and and AT and T Next. I I think uh, that allowed them to ride that wave or extend that wave out a little bit uh, further than they ordinarily would have had uh, had uh, things been continuing on the two year contract basis. So. Yeah, so a lot, lot to come. Certainly expect a lot of pressure on Apple over the next year. Uh, to your point, we'll probably hear more about AR and VR. Uh, we'll probably see more of that earlier than we might have in the past, uh, wanting everything to be uh, to be done. And you have seen Apple, uh, you know, I guess we could argue, work on some of their services. Some of the services that have, have mm-hmm. trailed some of their competitors like Mapping have made great um, stretches over the last six months. So you've seen them yeah, really try to improve the user experience. They don't directly monetize that. You know, right. That's a, that's a catch up uh, parody play. You know, so I, I, I don't think that's a bad issue though. I think if uh, the problem that Apple has is they want to make everything premium experience and premium priced. And I think you need to think about, especially in an environment where you have these network effects, you need to think about what do we price at a premium and what do we price at the competitive, you know, the competitive uh, price in the marketplace. So online storage is a great example. They can offer a, a premium experience at a competitive price because they can subsidize it with hardware and with other uh, other aspects of their ecosystem. They're not doing that. They want to capture that premium all along the way. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe perhaps they feel like if it's not premiumly priced, consumers will think it's not a premium Apple service. So I think that's their pricing problem is not that we need to get low priced uh, iPhones out there, but that we can have some premium priced products that then subsidize other things within our ecosystem. Hmm. And well, I, I also wonder how that potential strategy would would play into their privacy uh, stances. Which, um, and we've talked about this before, right. how you know it, it, it is a point of differentiation for them, uh, one that they strongly espouse from a, a corporate perspective. And uh, I think we were just mentioning last week how you know Tim Cook had gone to Europe and you know mm-hmm. talked about this issue, uh, but they don't uh, really mention it much, or I would argue enough, uh, in their advertising, mm-hmm. in their commercials. You know, they they do talk about it when they announce products. You know, things that they're doing to protect privacy, and of course, the enthusiast uh, understands that. But but I would say that you know someone maybe who has been a a high-end Android user, you know, reads about all of these leaks and all these tracking, all this tracking. They may not know. I, I think some of that uh, showed up at the congressional hearings uh, when they asked uh, 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 Sundar uh, uh, Pichai, you know, can you can you track what's going on uh, in my iPhone as I go around mm-hmm. the room? And his response was, well, we don't make the iPhone. You know, so I, I really can't tell you uh, unless you show me the phone, right? Uh, so it came, it came down to settings. Um, so, uh, so I, I think you know they would do very well uh, to to emphasize that. I'm, I'm sure they're going to stick with that approach. But, but to yeah. your point, I think one reason maybe why they're a little challenged in terms of making the services 
competitive as as we think about it at market rates is because competitors, you know, certainly Google, um, you know, wants to keep service prices low. So to to drive adoption, to drive advertising revenue and behavior tracking, uh, which are just not part of Apple's model, you know. So so if you think some of these new opportunities like AR or VR or maybe even opportunities they're not in yet, what does Apple have to do over the next, you know, year, two years, four years to bring out new products that are differentiated from their competitors, but also aren't quickly commoditized? Because that's what's difficult in the current environment is you come out with a new product and you mentioned form factors, you mentioned some other you know defining attributes and they're quickly commoditized because right. of the, the the competitive environment, the design cycle lengths, all of these things mean that things are, are quickly commoditized. And so it's hard to differentiate and and in order to capture a premium price, you need to be able to differentiate yourself in that marketplace. Well historically they've done that through software. Right. So, you know, that was the real innovation of the iPhone was that the mm-hmm. software was years beyond any anything in the market. And I would argue that that is key to the reason uh, that they're out in front with Apple Watch, because they're just providing the best, most capable software experience. Uh, and we're seeing good growth there. But it's, uh, again, not at the point at this point, you know, where it can. Um, take over uh, smartphone revenue. And, you know, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, I was at a Qualcomm event uh, in in December and Qualcomm, for example, well, you know, of course, Apple's having its own issues with Qualcomm, but, but, you know, Qualcomm, of course, is is very interested in many different categories, but uh, phones are their bread and butter and they don't see anything uh, displacing that. So, so you know, and the last thing I wanted to mention on the phone front, uh, I think things may get worse before they get better because a lot of the focus in 2019 is going to be on 5G. You're going to see these competitors introduce 5G phones all over the place. And Apple is widely expected to trail on that. So, you know, this is going to be another thing that they're going to take a lot of lumps on you know, saying, hey, you know, Verizon or AT&T are offering me, you know, this incredible uh, speed. Why can't I access that with my iPhone? You know, so, uh, and, and you know, it's a, again, the world has changed a lot uh, from when they trailed on 3G and 4G. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think the key is how do you introduce the experience, um, which I think they've done with they've done a, a good job with with the watch, and you drive that into the mainstream. You know, that's uh, maybe maybe not like to the point everyone has it. I mean, to your point, they're going to stay a premium manufacturer, but it becomes something accepted. You know, that that you just start to see people on the street using, um, at least, you know, in major, major urban centers. Uh, I think AirPod, AirPod is a good example. I think they, they have an opportunity to build off the success that they're, they're having there. Uh, I think HomePod, at least at this point, is not a great example, you know, or, or maybe they're taking some baby steps there. Uh, but um, uh, I, I would say that, you know, one, one of those kinds of things just has to 
get momentum. I think they're fully capable of still creating these kinds of experiences. Uh, but, um, you know, they, they have to make a, a, a big splash and, uh, and point to something as saying, you know, as they did with the iPhone, look, we're going to be humble here and say that, you know, we just think that this is sort of a, an interesting opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you know, they also kind of did that with iPod. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, mean, you know, hopefully watch it grow. Well, yeah, and, and I, you could argue they did that with the watch as well, where they came out with it and they constantly iterated around it to create what it is now. And and it wasn't, you know, I would argue primarily a, a health-oriented fitness device uh, right out of the gates. And now you're seeing it take more of that uh, approach and and becoming more successful. I, I think there's still a lot they can do with that. And you could argue there's no single killer, really killer experiences on the uh, Apple Watch where people say, you know what, I really need to have this and I don't like a, going a day where I don't have it totally, on. Totally agree. Um, and I think if you look at their suite of experience, their suite of products, like, uh, smart home would seem to me to be a, a killer opportunity for them. From the second mm. my phone unlocks my front door till you know Siri gives me the news on my home pod to w- whatever else the experience is, you know, lights and, and automation. That's such a fragmented environment. It's still a pretty nascent environment. Um, you've got still relatively low ownership rates. It's a perfect place for them to experiment, and they really haven't touched that. Uh, well, I, I think that's a, a really interesting case study for them because it, you know they have taken an, a very unusual or somewhat unusual approach there in that they've decided we're not going to try to own every category there. We're not pulling a nest. You know, We're mm-hmm. not doing our own cameras and alarms and door locks and all that stuff. Uh, we're, we're doing a, a partnership strategy. We're doing a, an API strategy where we're going to um, – you know, it's kind of an admission or maybe an acknowledgement that they they will never be able to get to, you know, to do door locks as well as, you know, Yale or or they'll never be able to do ceiling fans as well as Hunter, you know, or um, so their strategy there has been, you know, work on compatibility with HomeKit, and that's how we'll make the iPhone and watch kind of the center of your smart home. So would you argue that they should become more active there? And, and do you think that Nest, you know, which I don't think has been a successful venture for, for Alphabet or Google, um, you know, what, what lessons can they take from that? I think there's an opportunity there for Apple because, to your point, their value add is software, and that seems like that's where they're focusing. But it's the seamless integration between software and hardware that they do so well. And mm-hmm. so while they innovate at the software level, it's delivering it in a, a seamless, uh, you know, hardware level that that also is of tremendous interest to consumers and getting some of these things to operate autonomously operate in an ambient way would would be something you would think apple could do a really good job at they are really good at that ambient experience Mm -hmm. and that's exactly where you want a true ambient experience is when you're running around the home and you're doing other things and you want things to to be 
happening on your behalf. So I, I think there could be an opportunity, especially because it's so fragmented and they don't need uh, to, you know, to have hundred percent market that. share. Right. All right. Well, good. Uh, I think uh, I think those are some good potential directions. Uh, I wanted to uh, just talk a little bit um, uh, about uh, another announcement this week is uh, the CES train starts to uh, ramp up, uh, which is about USB-C, a little bit related to Apple as uh, they were a big contributor to the standard and they are starting to move their well, not just starting, they're moving more of their products to USB-C, such as the uh, the new iPad Pros. Um, and it's been uh, an incredible standard. It's, it's amazing what this thing can do. It can, of course, move data. It can move enough power to power at least, you know, most notebooks. Uh, it can drive a monitor um, and, you know, can move data at tremendous speed. So it's an incredibly, oh, and it's, of course, uh, reversible. So it doesn't matter which way you plug in the, the plug. Uh, and it's, uh, so it's, you know, from an engineering perspective, it's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, and, and versatile, and perhaps because of some of that versatility, we have seen some challenges uh, in terms of compliance uh, or an understanding of, of what the different capabilities are. And, and unfortunately, uh, there has been the risk of products getting ruined with faulty or under-spec chargers and things. And so the USB uh, implementers group has decided that uh, they're going to start certifying these products. And um, I, I think this is a really positive move because this could really become uh, really, you know, be the thing that, that comes the closest to living up to the, the universal in, in USB. Uh, so um, uh, you think this has a, an opportunity to fly or or is the are things too far out of the gate at this point and we've just got you know too much cheap stuff come coming out there that uh, that consumers are, are gonna see and, and just rush to buy well I, I think it definitely could work um, I do think that you will uh, will have this period between us USB um, styles that will require a bunch of dongles and consumers aren't gonna you know lo love that experience we're gonna definitely move into a period of uh f defined by dongles everywhere it would seem and um it, you know the it, interoperability issues are always a, a point of a friction for consumer adoption and consumer interest so if there's confusion about what what works with what then that will hinder consumer adoption i think yeah no i i, I think um it, it's it's a good move um and uh you know it's one thing to say here's this port and another thing to say we're going to guarantee essentially that this thing is going to work and um you, you kind of i think you kind of have to do it with so many different vendors uh, and so many different kinds of devices with so many different kinds of power requirements. Um, so I'm hoping that um, I'm optimistic that this will uh, allay um, some of the some of the concerns <laughs> that yeah. uh, that people have had, and hopefully reduce some damage. So. Yeah, I think you, I think you're right. 
All right. Well, um, I know, Sean, that uh, you're heading out to, to Vegas and uh, are going to be soaking up uh, an incredible amount of uh, uh, technology knowledge and news uh, over the course of the next week. So uh, I think uh, it's going to be pretty, pretty exciting in terms of what we can uh, share in the coming episodes. Yeah, you're already seeing some of the leaks, and I think there's some really interesting stories developing. Some we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Uh, clearly, 2019 is, is shaping up to be a defining year for 5G with mm-hmm. standards solidified. And, and so we'll see that storyline really start up at CES with a, a slew of announcements coming. Uh, you're seeing a lot happen around robotics, and I think that will be a really interesting care, uh, category to watch at CES. So uh, we'll we'll be back in the coming days with more news from from CES, but I think there's some really interesting things developing for the, for the next week that will define the years ahead. Well, fantastic. Um, well, uh, I think we're going to have to wrap. So I uh, just want to uh, say uh, goodbye to everyone and thanks for listening. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin, and I'm on Twitter at Sean Duberbeck, and we look forward to talking to you in our next episode of Techspansive.